Hit This is the Sight Pen Podcast, episode 13, a very, very special podcast today as we have Nick Nisi out at EmberConf, possibly hey, walking hey. on hot coals. <laughs> no? Is that what you guys are doing there? Uh, is it? I think so. I, I don't know how to program, so I think that might be what they're doing. Okay, Just trust cool. exercises? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you just got to trust that the routes you set up are going to work. And uh, yeah, it's good stuff. Uh, we also have Paul Shannon here. Howdy, Tori. Hello. And Neil, how do you feel about being here? I'm just happy to be here. That's good stuff, man. It's <laughs> really good stuff. See, I finally got an opening there to use what he always says. I think it's been a while since I, I, I really thought about what I would say there. Um, this episode is um, actually sponsored by nobody uh, nobody wanted to sponsor us because they are afraid of upsetting the dear leader after what happened last week so no sponsor this week but that just gives us more time to talk about other stuff like nick what what exactly are you doing at EmberConf? uh i am enjoying it i'm attending i'm one of 950 or so people here uh, learning some cool, learning about some cool Ember technologies from the people who are creating them. Where is it at? It's in Portland, Oregon. Oh, nice! Not too far from me. Though, yeah. Though no offer to get together. I guess it's, it is like five hours. I was just gonna say that actually, uh, I had friends come down from Seattle, and so I know you could have done. I guess I, I won't call you out on a podcast or anything. That's fine. Um, yeah, I, I'm under house arrest currently, actually. So um, I took Neil's advice and I brought home one of those posters. Nice. And uh, now I'm just trying my hardest to do everything I can for this country. Um, so what are the... Is anything stuck out to you so far at EmberConf that... Oh, we got some robo noise coming from. <laughs> this is the these are the hazards of doing a live podcast as opposed that's, to a dead yeah. one. That's true. I will just robots take over Embercom. <laughs> I will just clarify. I'm sitting in the hallway uh, as far away as I can from uh, the conference and the conference people, but still within Wi-Fi range. So hopefully uh, the distractions are minimal, but. Uh, yeah, there's some. There's been some interesting things that have stuck out, uh, primarily in the keynote yesterday uh, that Yehuda Katz and Tom Dale gave. Uh, they they talked about uh, a lot of interesting things um, that are uh, not only coming to the Ember community, but how the Ember community is influencing uh, the JavaScript community. And so I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, they talked about their their Glimmer engine and some improvements to that for for speed. Uh, they showed some demos, and it's just so fast uh, to to do uh, to render updates in the browser. Uh, they talked a lot about uh, making the mobile web great again. I kind of came up with that tagline. Oh, um, I wish they would have, but I guess that <laughs> yeah. makes sense that you did. <laughs> um, and and with that, they they ran through an example of uh, what you do on a phone to look at Pinterest. And if you just bring up Pinterest, if you Google something and a Pinterest link comes up, it forces you, it, it almost forces you to download their app and their app is like 50 megs, uh, or something like that. So, you know, on, on a, a bad connection, like I tend to have all over Portland, um, it, it would take a while to, to download that. Um, but if you, if you, get around all of that and just finally make it to their mobile web uh, version. Like, it's not not that bad, but they seem to be so embarrassed of, of it that they they want to force you to have to download 50 megs of things, and then it forgets where what page you're actually trying to look at, so you have to go re-look at that. It just takes you completely out of the flow that you were in uh, to do that, and the, the mobile web is, is very broken in that sense, because we should have websites that can that can really handle that, and I'm not sure who's Whose fault that is, really? It's probably yours. Um, <laughs> it's it's probably I don't know. Safari on iOS seems like like I always have issues with it uh, yeah. from coding. I mean, yeah, there there's just so many things that work everywhere but Safari 
mobile Safari, but hopefully that's getting better. Uh, they talked about that. Sorry, I don't know. Mobile Safari is like the IE of the mobile browsers. That, it is. In that it's the best? or <laughs> it's For Tori, it's the best. Everyone else, I don't know. Oh, Writing okay. code to it is, is always an adventure. Right. Well, it's a Safari. Yeah, it's... <laughs> like that's, they, they're pretty clear about that. Yeah, it's all up front. I would like I to see things. Yeah. I would like to see things more on on mobile, but I I will admit that if there's an app, I will go get it because it's just easier to work with. Uh, it you know it remembers that I'm logged in. Um, it's it seems faster, so I'm guilty of this just as much as anyone. But I was it wondering nice who it see. was that actually does that because I always just go leave me alone, stop asking me to install an app. Like that's my like I'd never install the app. I, I'm yeah, not a Pinterest here. user, but I have clicked on Pinterest links before, and <laughs> it, it, try getting around them. It's it just puts a big thing in front saying "Download our app," and yeah. Uh, they also talked about um, uh, some cool things that like uh, these things called engines for Ember that let you basically build uh, compartmentalized applications, kind of like. Uh, Spotify, if you're familiar with the way that Spotify is built, like each piece of the UI and that can be its own component. Uh, and then they're just kind of bundled together to make the full Spotify application. And you can do that with Ember where you treat everything as a, an individual Ember application and then you can bundle them together so you can make more, uh, more complex sites uh, easier to manage. So kind of like a web portal or? I think so, yeah. Okay. Oh, portlets. Yeah. yeah. Oh, like when those. you put it like that, never mind. It sounds bad when you it doesn't sound <laughs> innovative should, when you do that. They should have led with that. <laughs> <laughs> so, have you played uh, pinball? I, I think there's pinball there. It ever comes. Pinball. Is there not? There's not uh, pinball there. Not that I've seen. I, I did go to an arcade uh, on Monday night and played some Metallica pinball. It was really awesome. Metallica and I played some, some Simpsons arcade games. So just to be clear, everybody, I said, hey, have you played any pinball? And he's like, what? Pinball? What are you talking about? And then two seconds later, yeah, I did go and play some pinball. Like, well, come on. I, I'm like, just seriously. I, yeah, I'm seriously, Tori, what are you like, talking about? Is it, is it part of the conference? I like. Are you, are you seeing that on Twitter? Because I wasn't seeing that. Yeah, I, I literally just opened Twitter and there was like this thing. And I don't think it's at the conference or anything. It's it's actually just a place, like a ground control. But, you know, I just thought I'd yeah, put that's... it out there. And then you're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> oh, yeah, I did do that, though. But, like, seriously? I was trying to build suspense, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and the, the final thing that I thought was pretty interesting um, was, was they talked about, they were talking about the CLI, and I've sat through a few talks on on the Ember CLI, which is just a, a tool you can install. It's great. It's kind of like uh, the Rails command for Ruby on Rails. You can just generate the controllers and routes and, and pieces of your components of your uh, of your Ember app. Uh, you can create those all from the command line, and it you know that's the thing about Ember is it's very opinionated. So there's not several ways to do things. Uh, so having a command line tool like that helps to uh, streamline the creation of new components and pieces of your app. And uh, one thing that they mentioned is that the Angular 2 team is actually taking Ember CLI and they are going to be repurposing it for Angular 2 to do much of the same thing. So that's kind of one way that that uh, Ember is influencing the other communities in, in the JavaScript world. So it sounds like Ember 2 is going to be a lot like... Um, if you took portlets and mixed them with Ruby on Rails, just let them know that if they need help with marketing, I am available. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure that'll be great. You totally just demoralized the whole thing when you said portlets. I heard that the can they just canceled the entire conference. <laughs> Everyone's leaving. So Nick, there, does their CLI use something like Yeoman, or is it more advanced than that? Is it just doing generators, or does it do something else? Uh, yeah, it's similar to, to Yeoman. I don't know if it's actually using that um, uh, underneath it all, but I think that it's um, it's more broccoli-based. Okay, so my kids I've will never hate used it. broccoli. So. <laughs> yeah. 
Another one of those those build tools. I have not had the opportunity to to play with it. I've I've played with the Ember CLI a bit, but not. Uh, I haven't looked at you know what makes it tick. Hmm. I'm not that advanced of an Ember user yet. Cool. Well, we look forward to hearing more fun stuff about Ember Conf. And um, if you could get a picture, a selfie of you and the Ember mascot, that'd be great. I will try. <laughs> okay. That's really, that's really all I want out of this. That's why we sent you there. That's it. What is the Ember mascot? It's some weird gerbil or something, right? What is it? Tomster. And they have Zoe, but it's, yeah, it's like a little gerbil. I hope it's a gerbil now that I've said gerbil. I'm going to get like... <laughs> I'm going to get tens of emails telling me I'm wrong. Ones um, of emails. <laughs> speaking ones of emails, mostly from my mom, uh, asking me if this, if I had seen some new forward. Um, <laughs> speaking of getting things wrong, how about we move on to the topic that everyone has been talking or writing or tweeting about, which is, um, I guess, NPM and the rest of the world fell apart and died, right? <laughs> Is that what happened? I don't really follow the news very much. Um, so I want to so help me out here with what Wait, exactly is going on. What, what do you think happened? I want to hear your... NPM and the rest of the internet stopped functioning mm. because someone was mad at somebody else for being mean on the internet. Mm, that's true. Is that about sum it up? That's it. Uh, okay, cool. Topic? We'll move on. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I won't. I don't. I don't want to get in the nitty gritty, but like the the long and or the short and sweet of it uh, is that uh, a npm module was unpublished. Uh, and two hundred and seventy. Two hundred some npm modules. The the yeah. one that we're going to talk about today, um, or at least the one that that has uh, piqued uh, some of our interest. Uh, there was a a specific um, module called Left Pad, I think is what it was called. It was. That yep. was unpublished as part of this, and it was a dependency of a, a huge number of, of projects. Uh, and all that it does is adds padding to the left side of a string, which is not a very complicated operation, and that's the only thing that the module did. Uh, and it, it kind of sparked this whole discussion about Basically about dependencies in general, right? Um, the the fact that so many dependencies were removed and it created a huge amount of problem. Uh, and on top of that, that so many of these dependencies are sometimes single line functions, sometimes three line functions, and, and a lot of them just are things that you can copy and paste from Stack Overflow. Uh, and it kind of gets... I mean, the, the discussion that's interesting is... Like, you kind of want a left pad function in your code. Uh, it doesn't necessarily need to do, be a dependency, but if it's not a dependency, like, what's the best way to manage that, right? Um, that, and that's kind of the part of the discussion that I wanted to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think there's it's a, it's a complex issue because uh, I think most in the Node community kind of they they want to follow that more Unixy philosophy where you have just a very small tool and then you chain all of these very small tools that do very singular things together and you end up with these one line or one function modules that are just used everywhere that are really filling in gaps in the um, in the language or or you know with the lack of of uh, any kind of standard library of of functionality this is what we end up with. And so those things, I mean, I've never heard of LeftPad. I'm sure nobody ever has, <laughs> but uh, we have used something. Um, there are several modules that are just so big and either directly depend on or indirectly depend on modules like LeftPad to, to function. And so that's where, where things break is because we, we couldn't and we, we shouldn't have to spend the time going through every single dependency of every single dependency that we need and and looking at these things and, and understanding them because there's there's just so much is that is this the right approach though that they've decided to go with 
It's interesting because I, I, would you want to have to write a left pad function over and over if you were going to be using it a lot? Um, I mean, no, you could, I, you could I, write I it so. once and have it as just, you know, this is just part of my code and not bring it in as a, a, a third party thing. Yeah, I mean, definitely um, having, definitely having reusable code is is important, um, and the fact that you're using it from other people uh, can often be important. Um, just so, yeah, the, the the approach of of so many points of failure, I think, is what's interesting about this specific problem. Yeah. So it's not just the points of failure; it's also attack surface. Like, if you're depending on a million modules, you you actually can't isolate all of those down to what are doing good things and what are doing bad things, which ones have security vulnerabilities and which ones don't. And NPM doesn't actually offer any help on this. They don't offer security screening. There's no real feedback other than emailing support to say, hey, there's probably security vulnerability in this module. And then there's no, as far as I know, I mean, maybe there's a recent feature with all this hubbubaloo about uh, un installing and the postscript uh, post install vulnerabilities but there's no way that anybody's contacted or can do an audit on their their packages to see if they're secure or if they've been unpublished for some reason um or right. if they need any of this stuff so there there is a little bit of security built around it and if you so the big debate one, one big debate that this has sparked is the ability to unpublish modules other module uh uh module loaders like this uh, or package managers that's the word uh, they don't some of them don't allow that I think NuGet is one that does not allow you to unpublish once it's been published uh, but in NPM you can do that uh, so one thing that they claim is is that they need it because people accidentally publish private keys and and things like that and they need to undo those yeah. those problems and that, that's understandable uh, but in this case what happened was unprecedented and they didn't think that that something like this would happen where somebody who got in really early and wrote a, a quote unquote core piece of functionality like left pad uh, just decided, just got angry and removed everything and unpublished, <coughs> which unpublished all of these versions uh, that caused several builds to break because nobody's caching modules locally. Yep. Uh, so everything was breaking completely. Then somebody else, because the, as soon as it's unpublished, the name becomes available again, so somebody else can go grab it. That could be a potential attack vector. Attack vector. Uh, but the, once you grab a module that was previously <coughs> published and try and publish it yourself, you actually have to increment to the next major version. So this had, uh, I think they were at 003 or something like that on left pad, and it had to upgrade to 1.0.0, which whoever grabbed the package did do that. Unfortunately, that didn't fix anything because all of these modules were still relying on, they're still trying to pull 003, which did not exist anymore. So yeah. all of those modules would either have to go and um, update to 1.0 to get the same functionality and fix everything, or um, what ended up happening is NPM un unpublished the work. So it brought 0.0.3 .0 back um, and, and put it back there. And that is kind of another... Uh, point of conversation in this this whole thing is should npm have the right to do that were they stealing his code it is open source code so you know maybe not but he definitely had the intention of unpublishing it that one is strikes me as one of the weirdest outcomes of this whole thing that that became something that people became upset about like if you just take firstly um you know obviously npm is a private you know, entity and it's their thing. So if they want to do that, they are more than welcome to, right? Um, he gave up the name. Someone took the name and we, you know, the code was brought back. So it was, you know, un unpublished, it was republished and it's open source, right? So like, what exactly is the issue there? Um, I, I don't, I don't really understand I guess I don't really get why that's such a huge, like why it rubbed people the wrong way so badly, but it brings up yeah, another question in that, which is what if he had just emptied out the files, but kept the name and kept the thing. Like I'm way less upset that somebody has the name and they put the code back because it fixes something that was, you know, genuinely harming users of NPM rightly or wrongly, whether it's ridiculous or not, like it is something that was happening. So 
to fix that and you know the hundreds of thousands of developer hours that would go into everyone breaking all their stuff and having to go figure out what's going on and, and all these things well now you know you fix that with one you know foul swoop but you know what if he had just said you know what screw all of you and he went into the file deleted all the contents and then just like rev the version or whatever and now what would you do there because yeah. you don't really have the same while well, he gave up the name and whatever because no he saw his name and he just put a broken version of something so what well, well, how is that different than anyone else putting a broken version of something up i think that would have been even more catastrophic to what what ended up happening so is, I definitely mean, it's kind of the discussion more about individuals versus organizations right like that we got some background noise going on right now yeah <laughs> sorry someone's listening well i think i think if someone's listening on the line is what's happening yeah someone's tapped it's in. a dear leader yeah. it's okay <laughs> uh so it, it yeah it seems like something where dealing with code that has been produced by a group of people um might be a little bit better to work with. Is That's that a tough how? call. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, again, like, you how, trust, do you, I, you know. how do you make those decisions? How do you, how do you identify risk? Um, I mean, it's really difficult to say. And, and why wasn't LeftPad 1.0? Why was it still semantically versioned <laughs> as a pre-production release? Like, how do you, how do you even make these judgments when, like, a, a you know, a 10-line, like, piece of code... They're waiting isn't... for ES 2016 to announce their string operators. And actually, oh, that, <laughs> that is a... It, it's a stage three proposal right now to add uh, left and right padding. See? I was right. <laughs> Wait till I get to published, Neil. Yeah. <laughs> well, I personally, I in solidarity actually removed my package, which was Notepad. Um, it just, you know, goes through a string and doesn't do anything. Um, and, you know, is used by a few dozen packages. But, you know, solidarity, man. Yeah, I, yeah, I removed my string concatenate uh, package. Well, it, should it have been there in the first place, I guess, is the, you know, there, there are packages I've seen that literally do things in the browser that you, or I'm sorry, things in JavaScript that you could do. Uh, they're, they're really not needed. I found one article that I'll put in the show notes that calls out a package called isArray oh, yeah, that yeah. has 880,000 downloads a day. I saw that. And if you look at it, it's one line and it just says return to string dot call, uh, passes in an <laughs> array and checks if that is equal to square brackets object array. That is all it does, and it has 880,000 downloads a day. So, so what's entertaining about that is that doesn't really work in ES6 anymore. <laughs> well, wait, 180,000 downloads a day sounds good, but you got to think no, that there could be... 880. Right. Well, that sounds even better, but you got to think that it's most likely that there's three packages that have various dependencies that just keep getting downloaded in the same thing over and Continuous over again. Continuous development. You know, 70, sure. 70 layers deep, there's another dependency that needs that. So it just keeps downloading. I think that's really what it's from. It's probably only like four people using it. But but Paul brings you, up a good point. If it doesn't work with, with ES6, and if you can change that with uh, a... Uh, I forgot the symbol that you can do that with. Two-string uh, tag. Yeah, two-string tag. If you can change that with that, then all of a sudden this breaks and it can't reliably do that in my node code. I can't reliably tell on this but there's some kind of there's 72 dependent npm packages on it right now that will all break when that becomes more prevalent uh, at the same time though they can all get fixed when is array is fixed and nobody has to go in and change their code individually okay so That's let's point. let's bring it in though and and uh give some practical maybe advice or thoughts to what people could do to protect their themselves for this um, besides, you know, maybe don't rely on one-line modules. Like, are, is there other things that people could do to yeah. kind of protect themselves? But like, so, I think the I think the array thing is a good example of why people would have these one-line dependencies. Like, the fact that it might break in the next version of ECMAScript is kind of a good example of it. Like, I think uh, I mean what I, what I wanted. To, the best way to say it is this is why we're kind of advocates of libraries 
uh, or at least uh, large bundles of code that do this type of behavior as opposed to just one individual thing. But the even those one yeah, line of code it still seems valid. Are the worst. Yeah. <laughs> Picking yeah. out everything, like I saw an is positive package on NPM nice. that does the wrong check to see if something is positive. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, but, that, yeah. but if it's going to take you more characters to import that code than to write the code, I feel like you should probably just write it. Even though well, you might have the logic incorrect, it's still better than you waiting on somebody who's probably forgotten about their one-line package to go update it and and then uh, upgrade to the next version of that. It's, well, I know, guess what we're saying is none of us disagree that a one line of code function is... Uh, like None of us are arguing that that's bad, to have one line of code that does something. I think that, yeah, including having a dependency that's just that seems uh, unnecessary, right? Like there are, there are libraries that are really small that do this kind of thing that, that are much richer than just that one function that's sure. my that's my issue with it too it's not that these things exist it's that developers have to know about all of them and form these micro architectures to create a core library for themselves um it's painful yes and it looks like everybody just froze i I'm think that here. the i think that another thing that you can do is not to uh, to avoid potential issues where uh, the person who unpublished LeftPad, like like we were saying, if they had just you know installed an incremental version that did nothing or uh, you know did did something malicious potentially, um, you could avoid that by um, by not using the uh, the tilde or the uh, caret in your package version in, in your package.json yeah, yeah, to manage yeah. versions. Uh, just make sure that you're locked on one, and then potentially caching those packages somewhere uh, locally, or or through your build tool, or or whatever you're doing, or hopefully not checking it into to Git. That would be awful. Um, but just holding on to those so that even if it does go down, or if npm goes down, you're not you're not completely uh, out of luck if if uh, if that goes down, you can still build. You can still continue to be productive. But I got to imagine that when this happened, um, just how many like if if it had happened while I was working on npm, uh, working with uh, even a front end project that just uses npm tooling, uh, and then things broke, how much time, how much would wasted developer time happen just to research this and then come to a conclusion? Oh, it's this Luffpad thing. You know, yeah. before it became a big right. public thing. Which I kind of think that's a good, I mean, that's a really the most valid reason for just putting it back in, you know, and that may have upset some people that they did that. But, you know, how many developer hours across all these people would have been affected if you didn't, right? And, yeah. you know, at some point, well, maybe one person's, you know, desire to remove this, you know, when that has ill effects across every one of your users as NPM, you know, all of your users are now affected in a negative way. Well, this is your product and it reflects poorly on you. So regardless of the reasoning, like fixing it quickly is kind of important. But um, yeah, it's 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 kind of a interesting thing. It'd be interesting to see what comes of this, you know, like what, what solutions come out of this. Um, so they have actually done uh, updated a, a few of their guidelines because of this as a direct result. The uh, now when you unpublish, if the module has not been uh, has existed for more than twenty four hours, then you're not allowed to. Th then it won't immediately unpublish. I think I like is, is the thing. Yeah, you have to contact um, their support. That's right. Yep. Uh, so I think that that's a good thing. You know, it's a good compromise where if I'm just creating something and I accidentally do something, I have enough time to go back and and change that. I can figure that out within a day, but uh, anything longer than that, it's not going to immediately break because they definitely don't want to have productivity go down again. So I just want to jump in and remind everybody that Maven has already solved this. Um, <laughs> Well, you so, should probably get together with the guys from <laughs> Ember and see if you can get that included in the next version, which I hear is going to be a lot like Portlets and Ruby on Rails, and you could add Maven in there too. 
everything old is new again, Tori. So yeah, like Maven has that concept of uh, a code proxy or a local code proxy. And so what you do is you set your your registry to some hosted registry internal to your company, and it actually looks internally first for dependencies. And if it doesn't, it pulls and caches those in your own company's internal repository. So you can do that on npm too, actually. Does npm um, does npm host? Yeah, that's for the npm enterprise solution, right? Yeah. And then yeah, okay. So I mean, if you're using that, that's great. I think Sinatra is another option uh, for npm. And then Artifactory has npm support and Maven support as well as Maven Nexus. So all of those offer local solutions that if you're in an enterprise scale, uh, you may want to look into. Cool. So yeah, I think the summary is make sure your dependencies are cached. Yes. Yeah, make sure you know what your dependencies are if you can. Yeah. Or just don't use dependencies. Well, or don't use <laughs> npm. That's... Write everything yourself. Yeah. I don't. So know. I, I've got it. I think the only thing One that question have... that I have. Sorry. The, the thing. The only thing that doesn't have compromises is caching your dependencies. I think everything else has some sort of trade off. Vladimir Putin sure. also doesn't have compromises, and neither does Trump. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to wonder what the the guy who unpublished all of his modules and deleted his npm like is he just not going to work in Node anymore or like because it's not like we have an alternative. He's going the way of TJ maybe going to go. <laughs> or to Trump's that was script. the next round of blood. At least TJ didn't throw a fit and unpublish everything. Never settle. Just go to Trump's script. You never have to settle. <laughs> <laughs> So should we talk about the the critical vulnerability that was exposed as a result of this too? Yeah. Or not maybe not as a result of this, but came around. Yeah, at the NPM same exact is time. Yeah, NPM has just had a a banner week. Um, so the NPM vulnerability is um, it, you. What's happening is is in the post install where binaries are compiled and everything when you check things uh, out from the repository or install things from the repository. Um, there's a post-install script that'll run JIP and will do binary compiles. Well, it turns out that you can also write a worm that will republish to NPM. And, or unpublish. Uh, or, I guess, unpublish uh, using your own credentials because you're on your own developer machine. So if you publish um, on the same machine that you're installing from, which I everybody practically does... Um, then there's the potential for a worm to be written in any of these dependencies in the post-install step to use your credentials to also publish or unpublish. And so uh, is posted up on Twitter um, whether a poll whether people would rather break all binary modules, uh, essentially removing the post-install step, or break all CI deploys uh, by implementing a manual two-factor step so when you publish you would have to then say go to the website and say yes i would like to publish this in a manual step well which one affects people like me who just use npm both to a degree the binary more but if people can't publish using ci then you're going to see um longer uh, longer iterations between releases uh because there's going to be a manual step well, I think that yeah. as long as... Well, LeftPad is at 1.0 now, so I'm good on all my dependencies. So, yeah, I think that breaking <laughs> the, the CI is probably the way I'd go because then I don't have to do anything. Yeah, there, there's actually probably a solution to that to just have like a known system um, that is then challenged to say, do you really want to post this to NPM? Kind of well, like how Let's Encrypt does. But, Paul, um, is there any other yeah. systems from back in the Java days that have already solved this that maybe you could let us in on that we can just use for or you could tell them about? I'm sure there is. Okay. I, just nothing comes to mind. But Let's Encrypt has solved this for for registering um, HTTPS or TLS um, type encryption keys. Well, since these are so, all old Java things you're, you're generally pulling out, um, it'll probably come, it'll just be a little slower to come to mind. So it'll come there eventually. I know, I'm... I'm so frustrated. Let's Encrypt is new and it's written in Go. I don't know anything off the top of my head in Java or C++. It'll get there. So, Just give it, a, yeah. give it a little bit to percolate and load, <laughs> compile, whatever. 
yeah so that sounds like a lot of fun sounds like they're having a great time over there um (laughs) yeah really unfortunately it's it's all about trust and and you're you're always taking risks by running other people's code uh the benefit is you save a lot of time and there's some really great modules out there i'd hate to see this completely destroy uh, the the community in, in any won't. way because it no it, it won't um, we have but, enough but, package managers that we can fall back to one of the hundreds of others <laughs> <laughs> and and npm really needs to to add trust to its framework and, and system like it needs to add that trust you know it shouldn't all be on the developer there should be tools there that help you understand when sec- security vulnerabilities hit and when you need to update your dependencies how do you manage that though? If I'm using, if I'm locked into uh, some dependency that one of its child's child's yeah. child's dependencies has a vulnerability in it, how do I have to increment the ne- to the next version of the dependency I'm using to upgrade? You know, to get the next version of the child's 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 dependency and and all of that. It's it's a tough a tough sell. It, it, like I'm not sure how you could really do that well. I, I know Maven Nexus has a service that they, they sell for enterprise clients that will do security scans and vulnerabilities. I can't imagine, I can, I can only imagine having like a public, you know, way of disclosing vulnerabilities would be fine. Even having somebody, you know, email you about your project's own dependencies if your project is published would be a decent way of doing it. But there's no feedback that I, I know of. And in fact, if you can't unpublish something that does have a security vulnerability or prevent usage, a prevented install of it, um, that, you know, that's just going to propagate the vulnerability. So, but even in situations like that, you're still going to go forward and potentially go to production and then just have a nice notification coming out. Is that what, what Maven does? Yes. It's just saying, yeah. oh, you might be vulnerable, so you might have to redo this or re consider this piece yeah you, you in order to to use those you have to make auditing part of your process and and, and everything like you can't just sure. publish and, and then leave it forever um just like anything and maybe npm in the future might do something like a a vetted set of core modules where themselves and all of the dependencies are vetted and uh trusted with some level of of satisfaction I don't, I don't know exactly how you do it but that might be another thing that they they could do in the future uh but i'm not sure how how much i like that either i i just want the feedback loop to happen like there's no feedback loop right now and yeah it's it's hacker news you just you <laughs> oh <laughs> so speaking yeah, that's of my uh, rss feed <laughs> Well, I think we should move on, and that's a good segue. So speaking of uh, feedback loops and vulnerabilities, um, Microsoft Build is going on right now, um, and there's some cool stuff there, but I think that uh, I just want to start with a quote from Microsoft CEO um, about robots and people. It's not going to be about man versus machine. It's going to be about man with machines, which is a great quote considering that last week they had put up an artificial AI on Twitter um, or with its own Twitter account um, called Tay Tweets. And their little thing said that she uses millennial slang and knows about Taylor Swift, Miley Cyrus, and Kanye West. And also eventually um, within 24 hours, actually less than 24 hours, became a Hitler-loving sex maniac. (laughs) Um, So that was... uh, that was a good thing to think about um, when people say that that robots, you know, there's no, they wouldn't take over. They don't really have a reason to, um, you know, just <laughs> just point to that because, uh, yeah, like that definitely. I can't wait until cars drive themselves and my car becomes a Hitler loving death mobile or something. Um, yeah, just just interesting. I just found that interesting. <laughs> Uh, and, and you know, I guess really the really the more interesting part is who on earth created this, and like someone who does not use the internet must have like the geekiest people who, and I say that with all respect, like the people who are the researchers who create these artificial intelligence didn't use enough intelligence to realize that using an AI that learns from comments and things that people say to it and putting it on the internet 
where people can comment to it wouldn't result in exactly this happening. Like how much, like, can we use some real intelligence to realize that that is exactly what was going to happen? Like, why not put it on you? Why don't you put it on YouTube comments too? Like, come on. Like really? <laughs> do, we know, do we know exactly how they managed to do this? How they managed to do what? How will they manage to turn it so negative? Well, how, what, what the training routine was that allowed people to do that. I, I don't know the details of that, but I did hear, and I, I wish I could point to sources, but I, I could look it up. I'll try and look it up for the show notes. Um, but I heard that they had actually done this months ago in China, yep. Yep. and it did not have the same outcome. It was uh, pretty positive. Or so the it, Chinese you know. press says. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's what I heard. And then I heard that it was it was more of a, a coordinated... Uh, attack on it almost well, yeah. when, it, when it got published oh, have they not heard of 4chan and reddit like really yeah, yeah. like yeah, i was like this is not <laughs> it's the worst when i heard about how they I, I, at first when i was like well how did this happen and then when i read about how it learned i went well yeah of course that's what happened like <laughs> what did you expect the outcome there was going to be also publishing it in in march in in, in a political climate such as this in an election year it's probably not <laughs> a good idea uh, yeah so that I just wanted you know that had nothing to do at all with build and actually what I'm really excited about is uh, Bash coming to Windows 10 um, so maybe we could talk about that a little bit I just saw this right before the uh, right before our recording but it looks pretty cool um, and someone put notes here so whoever put notes why don't you talk about if you have more info than me because I'll probably get it wrong as I always do. So, which sure, we determined I, actually, I, we determined before we started the show that my role here of getting stuff wrong and talking unintelligently is just <laughs> to make you all feel so much smarter. The listeners, the, gen- the general audience, yeah, the general audience and my co hosts. So, well, don't pull back the veil, Tori. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> I mean, my friend is really dumb. <laughs> And yeah, yeah. So um, I I added some of the show notes. Uh, I I have been a Mac user for a while just because I can't stand Windows command line and I can't stand to bring myself to use Sigwin, which is just a shell over top of things. So I'm kind of interested to see um, what Microsoft is doing here. They're uh, they're partnering with uh, Canonical. Uh, Canonical. To... Canonical. Cano... Oh, I said it wrong. Canonical. Ubuntu people. With uh, yeah, the Ubuntu people to um, to bring not just Bash to to Windows, which is this first step, but they also have a project called Project Barcelona um, that they're trying to actually bring uh, Linux containers to Windows. Um, maybe just for the their Azure cloud platform, but uh, but yeah, they're trying to bring Linux containers, which would be really kind of sweet. What are um, Linux containers? So Linux containers are similar to like chjl, um, which probably doesn't help either, or chroot. It's a limited execution uh, space that you define um, kind of what goes into that, like what network availability there is, what what disk access you have. And beside that, uh, it, it acts internally on its own snapshot of, of files. And so think of it as like this container that holds an execution context that is only loosely connected to your system, but it's it's more tightly coupled to your system than, say, a virtual machine would be. So um, the top blog post about this on Hacker News right now uh, specifically says that this is not a container. It's native Ubuntu libraries that run directly in Windows. Yes. Yeah, so it's not is, that at all. <laughs> next, you know what? Next time, I'm just going to ask Nick. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's the it, you can, it, it has the steps listed here. In Windows 10, you can go to Start menu, type Bash, and it opens command.exe uh, that runs slash bin slash Bash and gives you access to the full Ubuntu user space so that you have uh, grep, aux, sed, vim, emacs, uh, PHP, Ruby, Perl, all anything that runs in the Ubuntu user space, you have directly, and it's not a virtual machine, it's not a container, it's native code that's running directly in Windows. Do you know what we call that? Do you know what we call that? You just got scienced. <laughs> Boom. You scienced me looking up an article. Uh. Yes. 
This is the well, the problem with was, looking up something more that than came you out ten do. minutes before. <laughs> so yeah, no, the the Linux container stuff is completely separate. This is the, this is their partnership with Canonical, um, and and yeah, it, the Bash thing is completely separate than the Linux, Linux container thing. I'm excited about both. I'm too. This is one of the biggest problems I have with Windows and why I feel like I could never go back because I live on the the Unix command line and uh, I still don't think I'll go back but it's nice to know that there are other options out there now and and you know it'll be interesting to see how this goes and how it grows and how it evolves Windows in the future yeah yeah me too I'm I'm excited I'm I like I like a lot of things in Windows um, so I, I'm kind of interested to see where this goes and uh, you know, just their Windows 10 is a fantastic improvement over Windows 8. Wow, ringing endorsement. Um, so also now related <laughs> to use Windows 9. Related to containers. Did you want to? Do you want to? I heard tell seven, us? eight, nine. Oh man. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> this is falling apart. Seven was that bad. Oh. <laughs> So how about how about we actually talk about containers? We talk about real quick that Docker um, has released a Mac. Oh, just go ahead and just you're the container guy. You you take it away. Well, I just wanted I just wanted to add that Docker had its third birthday and um, happy birthday Docker. And they recently released uh, a Mac and Windows native app. So you don't have to use boot to Docker. You can use Docker directly. And it, it actually still uses a virtual machine, if I remember correctly. Um, but it's it's all... Everyone should check what cleaner. he's saying because it probably isn't. Yeah. I just... I make it up and I hope people don't check. But damn it, Nick. I don't. You got me. Yeah, Nick called you out. It's not me. <laughs> I, I just happened to be looking at that article. <laughs> You know, you got me back for calling That's, you out like on, I said. on quizzing you on some <laughs> ES6 stuff that we did a while back. Oh, vengeance. Cool. It tastes so good. All right. You deserve it, my Speaking friend. Speaking of oh. tastes so good, are you drinking Perrier? <laughs> what are you drinking, Paul? Uh, uh, San Pellegrino. Oh, man. It's so gross. <laughs> Sorry. Fizzy, fizzy water is just nasty stuff, man. Um, cool. So... Let's move on to our final segment, the bug of the week. And Paul, this looks like it's also yours. So why don't you take it away and tell everyone? It's probably not even a bug, though. Let's be honest. Like, it probably wasn't. So let's hear it. I don't even really know. Um, but it's not what surprising I do know, at this point. <laughs> I don't, yeah, it's not. It, it, it's not. <laughs> what I do know is... Um, I was working with um, an argument statement and I was trying to, to use like, um, I was trying to use the spread operator on arguments in TypeScript. And I kept getting, I kept getting an error saying that the type I arguments is not an array type, which yeah, okay, it's not, it's, it's array like, but um, I was working in an ES6 context and I was expecting spread to actually operate on on arguments as yeah. it does in ES6. Well, I traced it down and it, it turns out since us and probably everybody else is down emitting to ES5, that arguments doesn't isn't technically iterable because it doesn't have the symbol iterator because ES5 doesn't have symbols and therefore it's not really <laughs> spreadable. And so um, while TypeScript actually builds it correctly it it uses um it uses from uh, in my case i was using array from and it uses it properly to apply to arguments um using spread it it decided to throw a hissy fit anyway and um and, and it turns out it's by design so um i tracked it down there's issue 3389 and a bunch of other issues that complain about something similar to this but it it basically says that because you're down emitting to IE or IE, woo, because you're down emitting to ES5, <laughs> and there's technically no operator on that, um, they're they're gonna throw a fit about it because technically your your type doesn't ha that the type that is in the type system doesn't have uh, an iterator or is an array. 
That's fun. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know what to do with that, except um, I know in TypeScript 2 and TypeScript 2.1, which is on the roadmap, they have a plan to kind of split out um, split out dependencies in some way. So while you may down emit to ES5 for, for syntax, you may also include something like symbols uh, depending on what you're targeting. Uh, or you may also include you know, some other thing like promises tends to be pretty well implemented as well as like the symbol iterator on most yeah. platforms. So um, they'll have some sort of piecemeal uh, additions that might solve this hopefully in, in the future. That's awesome. That sounds like just another one of those fun little things that you, you run into that you spend a couple hours on and then want to kill yourself over. <laughs> no, is that just me? I don't. Okay, no, never mind. That, <laughs> you want to just drink some Pellegrino over. That's, um, I'll just, yeah, I'll let you, let you talk it out, Tori. Yeah, just. You can go see Nick. You can go down to see Nick. He'll, he'll hug it out with you. <sighs> I really need it right now, guys. I really need it. <laughs> um, well, Nick, you enjoy your trip um, and make sure you get that selfie and maybe we can put it in the show notes. Um, and the rest of you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you for, for joining us and everybody else. Thanks for listening. Um, good yeah. times. Good talk. Yeah. Please fact check everything I said. And if I said anything wrong, tweet me. Or... That's that's a dare. Yeah, <laughs> you can fact check everything that I say, and don't do any. Don't tweet me because I, I know. Tweet Paul. Tweet Paul. <laughs> that's right. Tweet me. Yeah. Tweet Paul. Okay. Thanks, guys. Yep. Thanks.